0: You're listening to Root Lock Radio. Hello and welcome to Rootlock Radio, a podcast for uncloaking, learning and exploring the tarot cards. My name is Weston, I live in New York City and I'm your host. If you haven't listened before, you should know that Rootlock Radio is designed to be a course in tarot and it might make more sense if you start at the beginning. In this episode we'll turn our focus to the 16 court cards and discuss some ways we don't want to interpret these cards, and some ways we do, as well as why focusing on the qualities underlying their personalities is crucial to getting to know these often confusing cards. To help us with this, we'll outline the personality traits associated with each of the four suits, and how the Ace through Ten Minor Arcana cards can help us to figure out what those traits are. Then we'll discuss the archetypal figures of the King, queen, knight, and page, and do some thinking about how the kind of open-minded view of gender that the tarot encourages will help us from falling into a rigid view of these cards. We'll also introduce the idea of reversals, and why the court cards are a good place to start understanding how reversals, or cards drawn upside down, work. All of this will set the stage for an in-depth examination of these 16 court cards in episode 12. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Root Lock Radio. we covered all of the cards of the Major Arcana, as well as the Ace through 10 cards of the four suits of the Minor Arcana, which leaves just the 16 court cards for us to complete our exploration of the entire tarot deck. And a lot of people wonder what is up with the court cards. They can seem to be a little bit boring, or confusing, or overly similar to one another. And a lot of times when people get court cards in a reading, they feel a little confused, or annoyed, or irritated. And these are all things that I've felt in drawing court cards in the past. The court cards lack the narrative quality of the minor arcana suit cards, as well as the drama that we see in the major arcana cards, so in some ways they may seem less less interesting or unnecessary to some people. So I'm gonna try to demystify the court cards a little bit here and help you to understand the way that they derive their meaning. So the ideas that underlie the meanings of these 16 cards. And I'll also show you how they can be quite flexible in the ways that you can interpret these cards. If you think of the cards as representing personalities rather than assuming they have to represent people, Because there is a difference between these two things So when you look at these 16 court cards, you have 16 people in royal court positions. But rather than being representative so much of people, they're more representative of 16 different personalities. Now, you never want to assume that a male or female card must represent a man or a woman. So a lot of times when you read about the court cards, people will suggest that they often represent you or people around you, and that you should think about about the personality of that court card and try to figure out who that person might be. And I agree that often court cards appear to represent the people in our lives and ourselves, but overly focusing on the gender of the court figure is one way that we can put a rather rigid restriction on the card's possible meanings and might prevent us from understanding who it's signifying and what it's trying to say about that person. So this is something we want to avoid This is an idea called gender essentialism. And gender essentialism is the idea that there are a fixed set of characteristics underlying men versus women. So men are this way, women are that way. And the idea that there is a inherent, clear, and rigid divide between male and female people. But I think as society is beginning to recognize a lot, there's much more of a spectrum here. And masculinity and femininity are much more just energies underlying lying personalities that can appear anywhere on the spectrum. The world isn't made up of just masculine males and feminine females. People blend these energies together in all kinds of unique ways. And as you may remember, part of the key to the enlightenment that we saw in the Major Arcana Fool's Journey was a balancing of the masculine tendency towards action with the feminine trait of meditation. So it's particularly important in tarot that we not create such a stark divide between these two energies, and the court cards are certainly a place where we might be tempted to do that. Another idea related to this that is worth considering is that, of course, this tarot deck was designed at a time before society had really begun to publicly reckon with this idea, so what we see in the court cards, on the surface level at least, is rather divided by gender. But we should look at these figures, such as kings and queens, more as symbols than as real people, and explore their symbolic and archetypal roles, the characteristics associated with these roles, and types of personalities that exhibit these characteristics. And when we think of it that way, a king-like personality and a queen-like personality are in no way inextricably tied to men and women, respectively. People of all gender identities can easily match these traits. So what we're really looking for when we're looking at these court cards is the energy of the personality. So though the 16 cards represent 16 different figures of the royal court, at least on the surface, we're really wanting to delve beneath and understand what energies permeate those personalities, and that's what we're looking for in a reading. And going back to this idea of gender essentialism, one thing I want to point out is that the queens of the core cards are inherently a little bit more masculine than, say, the high priestess or empress cards. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about the queens individually. But that's just one example of how a female-depicted figure on a card can have some masculine energy mixed in. So again, we want to just kind of forget about those traditional labels of male and female and think much more about the particular mix of energy that's underlying each of these 16 people. And this requires a certain kind of flexibility. Another way that we want to have flexibility in our interpretations of the court cards is in assuming that they have to represent people. And I really, again, advocate for the idea of court cards representing personalities instead. And when you think about it, people do have personalities, of course, but so do situations and projects and jobs and locations and houses and groups and families. All kinds of things have personalities or characteristics that give them personality. And so the court cards can really come up to represent the personality that's permeating a situation, as well as the personality of a particular person in your life. Much like the ace through ten cards of the minor suits, the meanings of these 16 court cards are determined by an intersection of energy. So what's happening here is the energy of the suit is intersecting with the archetypes of the queen, the king, the knight, and the page. And the personality traits that we associate with those archetypes are mixing with the particular energy of the suit. And another way to think about this is that maybe the suit itself determines the principles or belief systems that guide these 16 figures. So the Knight of Wands is guided by that fiery wand energy and the principles that come with it, whereas the Knight of Cups is guided more by the principles that we associate with that water energy. So we are eventually going to talk individually about each of the 16 court cards. But I think in order to set the stage and to understand really where these cards get their meanings, it'd be a good idea to first look at the four suits from a personality perspective and try to understand the way that the four elemental energies have certain personality characteristics to them and the ways that we see these in some of the cards of the ace through ten of each suit. And then I think we should look at each of the archetypal positions that we see in the court. So the king, the queen, the knight, and the page, and unpack what types of people we're dealing with because once we understand these two things, we see that each individual court card is in a way an intersection of the type of person they are, so what figure they are in the court, along with the personality of the suit or the principles that we see associated with that suit. If you'd like to create a visual to help you grasp how the court cards derive their meaning, similar to the grid of daily experiences that we came up with with the Ace through Ten cards, I'd recommend something I call the grid of personality types. To do this, you'll make a 4x4 four four card grid where the rows are the suits and the columns are the court figures, starting with the kings at the far left, followed by the queens, then the knights, then the pages on the right. It's important that they are arranged in this way, because when we look at each individual card, the direction they are facing will be an important factor in our understanding their personalities, and especially how they relate to the other figures of the court based on whether they face toward or away from these other figures. So again, what we're going to do first is talk about these four suits and the ways that we can see personality traits coming out in those four suits. So starting with the wand, which is the fire energy. Uh, Again, we're dealing with something that's passionate and driven and creative and action-oriented. Fire energy tends to be a little bit sexual or amorous. And we also see that magician-like decisiveness and masculine tendency towards action. So this is something we can expect to be permeating the four court cards of the fire suit. On the more negative side, we also see a tendency towards Narcissism or thoughtlessness, and also a tendency for things to get a little out of control, right? Remember the fire burning out of control, as well as recklessness. And when we look at the Ace through Ten cards in the Suit of Wands, we see things like passion projects and risk-taking, which comes up in the two and three cards of wands, right? Sending your ships out to sea and not really knowing what's going to happen. We also see a bit of a celebration and victory energy in those four and six of wand cards, as well as that swift action in the Eight of Wands, that reminds us a little bit when it's in a human form of the Magician card. We also see quite a bit of fighting in these cards, but it's not so much conflict-driven as driven from this passion or this desire to, to win or do things your way. So something you might label as competitiveness. And this is something we see coming up a little bit in the Seven of Wands or the Nine of Wands as well as the Five of Wands, where multiple people believing that they know the right way to do something leads to the group's inability to do anything at all. In the Wands suit, we also see potential for narcissism and pushing or driving other people away, which can be a bit self-isolating, which we see in that Ten of Wands card. So these are some of the characteristics that we're going to see coming up in the Wand court cards. And we'll think that the principles that these court cards tend to be driven by is that they prioritize what drives them passionately over things like emotion, logic, or stability, and that they rule with or are somehow guided by or guide with their soul. One other way you might frame the personalities of these cards if you're into astrology is to think about the fire signs of the zodiac and to think about what personality traits you find in people who are Aries, Leos, or Sagittariuses. When we look at the cards of the suit of cups, the characteristics that we associate with that water energy is that these people are emotional and deep feeling. They're meditative and more slow moving because they're contemplative, right? And they're in touch with their subconscious and the deeper feelings that they and other people have about stuff. And we have that feminine High Priestess energy permeating the Suit of Cups. They also, on the more negative side, can tend to be a little bit indecisive, or wallowy, or depressed, or maybe overthinking things. And when we look at the Ace through Ten cards of the Suit of Cups, we see a lot of attention and focus on relationships. I mean, this comes up in the Two of Cups, the Three of Cups, the Six of Cups the Ten of Cups, there's a lot about relationships here, but we also can see that tendency towards indecision or inaction in something like the Seven card, or even a tendency towards rigidity or depression like we see in the Four and Five of Cups, but we also see this emotional strength and the maturity it takes in the Eight of Cups to know what's best for you and to leave a steady or stable situation even if it's very difficult to do so in order to follow a higher calling. So all of these different characteristics that we see in the cup cards will maybe see come up in the court cards in the Suit of Cups as well. And so when we think about the principles that are going to guide the court cards of the Suit of Cups, we're gonna think that they're primarily prioritizing emotion and deep fear Feeling and human connection and relationships over things like passion or stability or logic. And we would think that they would rule with or guide with or be guided by their hearts. And we can also think of the personalities of the water signs of the zodiac. So that would be the Pisces, the Cancers, and the Scorpios. When we think of the earth suit, the suit of pentacles, we think of characteristics like stability, nurturing, providing, the idea of someone having an abundance of stuff, as well as that maternal and caregiving energy of the empress card. While on the more negative side, we have kind of a stuckness sometimes, or an obsession with money or materialism that can lead to selfishness or hoarding things to yourself. So these are all principles that we might see come up in those court cards in positive and negative ways. And when we look at the ace through ten cards in the suit of pentacles, we see some focus on the idea of the haves and have-nots in cards like the four, five, six, and nine of pentacles, where we see this working out of the idea of possessions and wealth and lack of possessions and wealth, as well as philanthropy as being a way to even things out sometimes. We also see a focus on social responsibility and sharing the wealth in that 6 card, as well as in the 10 card, where the patriarchal figure of the family sort of provides this deep stability for everyone else. We also see the value of hard work and how it can beget long-term stability. And we see that in the Three of Pentacles, where someone's working on some artisanal craft. In the Seven of Pentacles, where we're starting to see the fruit of our labor. In the Eight of Pentacles, where we're working very hard. But we also do see that stuckness or rigidity in the Two and Four of Pentacles. Or the materialism or hoarding wealth to yourself. In cards like the four or nine of pentacles, as well as the isolation that comes with that. So when we think about the principles of the suit of pentacles, we're going to think that they probably prioritize stability and... Material comforts and this long-term stability that comes from hard work Over things like passion or emotion or logic And they rule with the physical realm, the realm of possessions and body and comfort And the home And we'll want to think about the earth signs of the zodiac And the personality traits that we associate with those signs Which are Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn And then when we turn to the suit of swords, we want to think about the characteristics that we associate with that air energy. They tend to be intelligent and logical, they have clarity, and they're good with decisions and guidance, and they're intellectual and philosophical. And we think of that great paternal father card of the Major Arcana, which is the Emperor, that great father of the tarot deck. But on the other hand, they can be heartless or oppressive. They have this belief that they know what's best for everyone, and they will push other people down out of their belief that they know best, and they also tend to be a little bit conflict-oriented or conflict-prone, and when we look at those ace through ten cards in the suit of swords, we see on the card four that meditative clarity that's kind of the best use of that swords energy, as well as that logic being used to assist others in the six of swords card, where we have that refugee assistance situation, in which detaching oneself from one's emotion actually helps them to help others. But we also see quite a bit of potential for heartlessness in the five card, or heartbreak in the three card, as well as oppression, defeat, self-defeat, and deceitfulness in the five, seven, and ten cards. So when we think about the suit of swords, they tend to prioritize ideas and logic over passion, emotion, stability, or anything else. And they rule with their minds. So we're going to see that in the suit of swords court cards as well. And with those cards, we'll think of the air signs in the zodiac and the personality traits we associate with those signs, which are Aquarius, Gemini, and Libra. So we see how when you look for them... Personality traits and types are all over the place in the Ace through Ten cards of each suit in the Minor Arcana, and the traits we see in those cards are the same ones we can expect to see expressed in the personalities of each individual court card. Now, the other way that each court card derives its meaning is from the archetypal role their figure plays in the royal court, and the duties, responsibilities, characteristics, and experiences we can expect each of these roles to have. Considering this, what I want to do next is talk about these four figures as archetypes. The kings, the queens, the knights, and the pages and what traits we can associate with those four types of people. And then this will lay the framework for how the personality traits in each suit mixing with the personality traits of each archetypal position can become a very particular personality presentation. So, in much the same way that the ace through ten cards derive their meaning from the elemental energy of the suit and the number on the card, each court card derives its meaning from the way the suit's elemental energy presents itself as a personality, intersecting with the specifics of the role that the figure on the card plays in the royal court. So, I'm going to start out talking about kings. And kings, of course, are the great rulers of the land. They have all the power and command over other people, but they also have this responsibility for others. So, there's a balance between ruling and being responsible for them. So, they're the great ruling, guiding, and protecting figures of society. And in a way, they're the emperor of each suit, right? They have this paternal nature of both guiding and ruling and being responsible. For other people. The kings make the rules, right? They have to make decisions, and oftentimes these are difficult ones. And something the kings can never do is they can never really please everyone. And this is where the four suits come into play, because each individual king is guided by the principles of their particular suit, and they make their decisions based on the values emphasized in their suit. So in a way, the suit can be seen as a guiding light for each king that sets him apart from the kings in the other suits. As we all know, it is impossible for a ruler to make everyone happy, so he must emphasize and pursue what he thinks is right. So again, the king cards have this sort of fatherly, paternal energy of power, command, social responsibility, guidance, and the way that they execute all that is determined by what suit they are in. But again, we shouldn't forget that a king doesn't have to be representative of a man, but instead any person or even situation, group, or location that exhibits those characteristics of command, authority, guidance and social responsibility. While the kings have power and authority, the queen's position is marked by wisdom, understanding, and influence. The queens play less of a formal role of authority or command, and instead are representative of wisdom, and stability through experience, as well as a comprehensive understanding that comes with their role of privileged observer and the influence they can have based on their position in relation to the king, as well as their position as a public figure that people look up to and admire. So, while the queens don't necessarily have the power to command or rule or make decisions, the queens are not the commanders-in-chief, they have observed everything. They've always been there watching and taking it in, and observing in a way that gives them a deeper and more all-encompassing understanding of how the world works than they would have if they had to call the shots like the king does. They get to step back and watch, which allows them to see more than they would if they were as involved in the decision making as the king is. So what the king is to authority and command, the queen is to wisdom and understanding. So the queens are guided by their experiences, right? Their their wisdom through their experiences guide them forward, and they are leaders in a sense without being rulers. So a real world example you could think of would be the more impressive first ladies we've had in American politics. So, Michelle Obama, for example, didn't necessarily play a formal role of commanding the country or making decisions, but she was a leader in many ways, and she could use her voice and her position to influence the focus of the country and its politics. And she was probably more widely and consistently admired than her husband the president, because she wasn't the ultimate decision maker. The distance she had from that role made people more likely to listen to what she had to say, and many people thought her voice proved to be one of deep and far-reaching wisdom. So the queens don't necessarily rule the people or make the decisions, but they can kind of set the tone, right? The way that they approach things, the things that they say, the priorities that they have, all sort of can permeate society in a way that's different from someone who actually creates a rule or a law. So they have a very large influence, but in a more behind-the-scenes way that permeates in a much wider and deeper way than the top-down command of the kings. I like to think of the High Priestess card as permeating the Queen cards, but also the Temperance card, because we have this deep emotional stability through experience that we see in that Temperance card. And that's such an important characteristic of these Queen cards, and something that sets them apart from the High Priestess or the Empress. And with the queen cards, we do have some nurturing, right? Nurturing is important to them, but their style of doing things isn't as maternal as something like the empress. And they have a little bit more of a masculine energy and a less maternal energy than the empress card does. And I mean, perhaps part of this is that the intimacy of maternity. You know, maternity is a very one-on-one thing, the mother and the child. It makes it hard for a public figure to really express that particular energy. So while a paternal energy can be something that we see in a public figure because it's less personal, right? A father figure kind of rules the entire household as one, whereas a mother figure has a one-on-one nurturing relationship with each person. So we don't necessarily see that maternity coming up quite as much in the queen cards. It's more about the wisdom and the more subtle but deep influence that they have. But we should also recall that the tarot teaches us that feminine energy is not solely maternal. In fact, the deep understanding we see in the high priestess card is the non-parental side of the feminine energy. And when we weigh it all out, this may be one of the best characteristics a ruler could have. This is not the need to be right that we see in the air energy and the emperor card, but a truly deep and multi-dimensional and multi-sided grasp of a situation that is a trait inherently rooted in the feminine trait of intuition. I, for one, hope we are moving toward an age where more women and people with this feminine trait take leadership roles, and where we stop assuming that hyper tendencies, like taking quick action and thinking you have all the answers are most valued. As we globalize and people of all kinds are trying to live together, this seems like it would help a lot. Uh, If you're into astrology at all, you maybe have heard about the idea of the age of Aquarius. And the theory behind this is that we are at this cusp of transition from one 2,000-year period to another. So we're going from the Piscean Age to the Aquarian Age. And basically, in a nutshell, what that means is that we're transitioning from a time of organized religion and male-dominated societies into more individual spirituality and female-dominated societies. If you're interested in this idea, you can easily research it. And I think that the way the tarot frames femininity and gender in general can be helpful in envisioning what a more feminine, less masculine-led society could look like. And of course, tarot is a great tool for practicing individual spirituality as well. So, again, to summarize the way that we frame the queens before I went into that little tangent, when we draw the queen cards, we want to think about things like wisdom through experience, deep and far-reaching understanding, emotional stability, and a position of influence that isn't rooted in a role of command or leadership like the king's, but is instead leadership that comes through informal influence. So the next type of court card is the knight. And when we think of knights, we think of action and individual agency, right? They have a lot of power to do what they want and go where they want and make decisions on an individual basis, which is different from the way the kings make decisions for everyone. And they also are valiant, right? They're wanting to help other people and rescue other people. But at the same time, they crave action and adventure. So they might get themselves into a little bit of trouble sometimes trying to help out where help is not needed or rescue something that doesn't need rescuing. They're always craving that adventure and action. You can think of a combination of the magician and chariot cards when you think of the knights. So the magician, right, is very action-oriented and unthinking and driven. Whereas the chariot cards have a lot of that individual agency, where they hold the reins, and they decide where to go, and they they have that vehicle beneath them, and they have that sort of self-guiding principle about them. And this word agency really is important, I think, when you think of the knights. And it's very different from that idea of having power over others. Again, agency is this individual energy or passion or desire or drive, as well as capability and having society's acceptance and support of you doing this. So knights are kind of given this agency by society and told, okay, we trust you to go out and make these decisions and to do them on behalf of the court. And the knights are very much associated with this fire energy, this drive and passion. And we'll see that in each of those cards. And compared to the kings and queens, the knights are also archetypally younger and less experienced than those figures. We think of a knight as being a young man at the end of adolescence or the beginning of adulthood, which also situates them in about the same place as the chariot card was in the Fool's Journey. But again, we don't need to think of the knights as always being male, but rather the energy of their personality, of being action-oriented and adventure-seeking, and wanting to come to the rescue and embodying that valiance. Those are the characteristics that we want to think of when the knights come up in a tarot reading. And then the fourth type of court cards are the pages. And unlike any of the other cards, they have no influence, command over other people, or agency. So they're a very simple expression of the suit's personality. They kind of just do these very simple, easy, clear tasks. So pages are the errand runners, or the messengers, or the assistants. They are told what to do, or given a simple and clear task, and they do it. So though they are hands that help, you accomplish things or move things around, they don't really make decisions on their own or have any influence or power over anyone else. So for this reason they're a very simple expression of the suit. You can think a little bit of the Fool card in that they have this kind of clean slate. They're still learning, they are just beginning and starting out, they're very youthful and young and naive like the Fool card. Or you can also think of them as almost being a human embodiment of the ace cards of their suit and they're learning the ropes of the suit and learning the ropes of the realm that their suit rules and they have a lot of potential without yet having achievement so it's that sort of raw energy and pure energy that we see in those ace cards but in a human form in a personality type And one other way that we can differentiate between the page cards and the ace cards is we'll remember that the aces represented sort of a gift from the universe, a bolt from the blue of that pure energy of the suit. So it's an opportunity or a situation that's presented to us. Whereas with the page cards, because it's coming in a human form, what we're actually seeing is the intention to start something new, or the initiation of a new project based on our own human will to do the thing. The page cards may be representative of students or other people that have a very simple and clear task that they're doing on someone else's behalf. So they could be a messenger, or an assistant, or an errand person, anything like that would fall into the realm of the pages. So having examined the ways that the four suits present as personality types, as well as the four archetypal figures of the court, and the characteristics that we can associate with them, we'll be ready in the next episode to examine all of the court cards individually and see how those two different energies intersect to create the meaning of each individual court card. So that's what we will cover in the next episode. But I also want to start talking about reversals, which is something that I've steered us away from up until now. The idea of reversals is that when a tarot card comes up upside down, the meaning is somehow altered from what it would mean if it were right side up. And there are a lot of different ways that a reversal can alter the meaning of the upright card. And we'll talk about that later on. But for now, I'm going to start talking about this with the court cards, because I think the court cards are actually the most clear and understandable way that reversals can happen. So in the court cards, when a court card comes upright, you can think of it as being the positive intention of whatever that card represents. So again, the card gets its meaning from the suit and the figure type that we see on that card. But if it comes upright, it means that that figure's intention is positive, and they are embodying that intersection in a way that has a lot of goodwill to it. On the other hand, if the card comes up upside down, or what we would call reversed, the intention is corrupted, and that figure embodies the negative counterpart to the positive intention that we saw in the upright card. And so as we go through each of the individual court cards in the next episode, I'll talk about what the meaning could be upright, as well as the meaning if it's reversed, which will give us a starting point for understanding the way that reversals can operate in the cards outside of the court cards, which we'll cover later on. Rootlock Radio is a podcast for uncloaking, learning, and exploring the tarot cards. It's written and produced by me, Weston. Music for today's show was provided by Shenandoah Davis and Jure. You can find information about both of those artists in the show notes. I always put notes up on the Root Lock Tarot website in relation to each show as well. To check those out, visit rootlocktarot.com podcast. And while you're there, check out my tarot services. I provide one-on-one tarot readings and lessons, both in person in New York City and online or over the phone anywhere else. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time for Rootlock Lock Radio.